wisdom. On today's episode of the Mission Daily, that's what we're covering today. And we're diving into the topics from the newsletter that were our favorites over the past week or two. Chad, what do you say? Yeah, I guess over the past two weeks, we've published some great stuff about wisdom and we like to do deep dives, as you know, and this is uh, an expansion on those topics. Awesome. So should we talk about the first one? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So there's a really long running study going on. I think it's over now and it's all around personality and looking into how your personality changes throughout your life. So this study was super interesting because it looked at people when they were 14 years old and then revisited them when they were 77 years old to see how the person's personality changed. And surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, it changed a ton. People were almost completely different than completely different human beings than they were when they were 14 when it came to reliability and a bunch of other key metrics that they looked at to kind of measure how they've changed over time, which is very interesting. It's a great reminder. and. So I think that anytime you hear about a study like this, it's tempting to want to think that the people who are doing it are pros or we're receiving a lot of coaching or anything like that. But I think in reality, we're changing all the time. And oftentimes the only thing about our bodies that remains the same is uh, you know, our skeletons and even our fascia, things like that. But even those things change. I think our fascia is replaced every 18 months and mm-hmm. your entire skeletal system is a new skeletal system in about eight years or something along those lines. So you're literally a different person. The only thing that's staying with you is that consciousness and memory of what has happened before. So don't fall in the trap of thinking that wherever you're at is fixed or your personality is just a certain way, or this is the way I've always been. It's the way I always will be, or I have these problems. That's definitely one way to look at it, but I've never seen anybody with those types of mindsets that has really, uh, don't sound like they're having fun, that's for sure. And it's a great reminder that you can always try the opposite approach of, I'm gonna be a new person in a week, in a month, and just see where you fall. Set really ambitious goals and uh, see what you can hit. You might surprise yourself. Yeah, and I really like how they made me think about the how the Buddhists view yourself and how the self is not really a thing. It's not really like, it's not you. And I was actually surprised to see that in the research article where they even referenced that whole topic because to me, that's like a whole nother can of worms to look into that. But that was just kind of fun to think about, okay, maybe I need to stop viewing myself as this body that just stays the same, you know, indefinitely. Whereas next week, like you said, I could be a completely different person if I choose to be or even if you don't choose to be, your body's going to keep changing. Definitely. And I think with a lot of self-help improvement content and stuff like that, there is a never ending push for habits. You need more habits and this and that, but the opposite of habits or it could be argued in any ways is something like novelty where new things emerge. And it's always a challenging balance to strike, you know, getting the right habits each day to propel you towards what you want without falling into this never ending loop when you just become comfortable in your routines and then you can't explore, embrace, or conjure up novelty in your daily interactions. And you're not going to become a new person if you're just doing the same things over and over again, or if you're just incrementally improving your habits based on some arbitrary guidelines or someone who is teaching you about how to make money online or something like that. There's just a never-ending drumbeat for more habits, more habits, more habits. And I think what is far more inspiring is to take a novel approach and find your own habits without the help of a guru. Definitely get ideas from wise sources, but don't uh, don't rely too heavily on getting the exact habits you need. Really just see what feels good and during the day. Uh, see what feels good looking back on six months 
uh, after, you know, after six months of progress, like reflecting on those type of things. Love it. All right. Do you want to dive into the next wisdom research article that you uh, had in the newsletter? Yeah, let's do it. So the next one is about human connection and how to find a suitable mate and a romantic interest. Ooh. And there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am the kindergartner who's going to make those noises. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so outside of the obvious choices like uh, Tinder and Bumble and eHarmony, uh, I think they're all owned by the Match Group now, which not many people know. The Match Group just dominates the dating market. Really Everything online. They, they buy within a couple of years of it launching any, any type of dating app or else that they slowly put the other dating apps like out of business. Uh, Amazon, brutal e-commerce style. We might have to talk about this in our next episode, talking about wealth. Yeah, we might have a little to do tease. That. So those are the traditional, I guess, the uh, modern day traditional approaches to finding a romantic interest. But there is a new trend going on, which is basically using the science of pheromones to find the perfect match. So there are researchers that are studying this and scientists have basically showed that your nose is picking up when a potential partner has desirable immune fighting genes that are going to mesh well with your genes. And the tests are inconclusive right now, but there is a really, really good chance that not only can our noses detect the difference, but it appears that anyways, that women tend to choose mates with immune systems that are dissimilar to their own, which in Mm -hmm. turn creates more of a chance of viability in the child's immune system. And the child is going to be better able to fight off diseases because you have these two relatively different immune systems that combine to essentially force or not force, but create a new mutation. Uh, So you're going to have a much higher likelihood of having a robust immune system if you have a spouse that you're attracted to naturally through scent and other other means. Wow. And maybe the relationships that don't work out is because their nose wasn't working on that fateful night (laughs) and they just really got it wrong. (laughs) It might be. So if you're out there, be sure to take a long, deep smell. Uh, Maybe not. I did that to you when I first met you. I was like, "Mm, oh, you smell good. (laughs) So now we know why it worked. Thanks so much. (laughs) All Um, right. Yeah. So I I think that's just a great study that our by bodies and our biology has an inborn sense of wisdom and there is wisdom in your genes just by nature of having survived you carry the lineage of survivors you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for who knows how many thousands of generations of painstaking struggles and triumphs and tragedies and horrible suffering all of that got you to this present moment so there's going to be some type of wisdom in your biology that you might not be appropriately factoring into how you think about yourself, your self-image and your self-esteem. So just by nature of being alive and surviving today, pat yourself on the back. It's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. And it's also pretty exciting realizing there's so much stuff you don't know. I mean, when these little tidbits of information come out that maybe are just a very small piece of our you know, biology, you're like, whoa, how did I not know that up until now? Just think of how much more research is going to come out about things like this that maybe will be obvious in 10, 20 years. And it's just starting to really dig deep into our history, our biology, who we are, and how we're being influenced by you know, our bodies. Well said. And we got to take a break to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Twilio. The Twilio Signal Conference is coming up October 17th through the 18th at the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium in San Francisco. The mission team is going to be there on location, and we hope to see you there as well. You can use the code MISSION20 to get 20% off your ticket and come out and hang with us. Yes, please. All right, let's go to the next topic. 
I think what's interesting about wisdom is, so we see this trend amongst scientific researchers where not only are they not afraid to put things like you mentioned Buddhism into the actual academic paper, but they're also starting to explore really uh, different territories. I, I think this is like a, a kind of an unprecedented thing going on right now in scientific research. And it has been stale for a while, but as somebody who just for fun, like comb a lot of the studies and the reports and things, there does seem to be this explosion of risk taking and people who are starting to take real risks who don't necessarily have tenure. They're not afraid to do that. I don't know if it's because the private market demand for researchers and data science is so robust. That. Maybe the funding suspect, opportunity is different now than yeah, what it used to be. So. I, yeah, I definitely suspect that there is an opportunity there to bounce to the private sector and back and forth much more quickly, which is a great thing for us and everybody who gets to benefit for that research. I agree. Yeah, super exciting. So, okay, if you're thinking about moving, there are a number of states where people tend to value free time more highly. It looks like Maine, Wisconsin, Alaska, Michigan, and Utah are your best bet for finding peers who appropriately value their free time, or maybe not appropriately. I don't know how you how you feel about that. But it looks like the bottom of the list was Virginia, Maryland, New Hampshire, Texas, and Mississippi. Oh. Huh. I wouldn't have guessed that. Okay. Looks like, it looks like job love is a key factor in employees' stress level. No surprise there. Of course. And also commute time doesn't seem to affect that in a positive way. Okay. Next up, we have new research that shows children and adolescents are more anxious than ever one in three meet the criteria for an anxiety disorder. Part of the problem is a lack of play and hovering or helicopter-like parents. Steph, what do you think about this? I mean, this is such an important topic because like you said, helicopter parents are on the rise, especially now that we have baby Grayson in our lives. You kind of see that everywhere where they're not letting their kids take any risks. And what this research is showing is that kids have to take risks. And back in the day, they would just go out in the neighborhood, play with kids all ages. The parents wouldn't step in. They would just kind of let them get hurt, fall down, you know, do whatever they were doing outside and come back. And that was how they learned and how they learned to manage their time and their life and their risk levels and everything like that. So basically they're saying that's not happening these days anymore. And it's making kids super anxious because you know, their parents are always watching over every single move that they are doing throughout their whole entire day. I think that just taking this back to the level of, do you like being watched all the time <laughs> and having all of your movements and uh, interests critiqued incessantly? Like, no, nobody, nobody likes doing that. And I think that that is really, really, it's a damaging trend, but at the same time, it's, I can't imagine something being more cruel than stifling the exploration type instinct early on in a child's life and basically preventing play. And there's a lot of good research by a neuroscientist named Jack or Yak Panksept, I believe is the right way to pronounce that, where he basically shows that if a child doesn't get adequate play with other peers and their parents, and so that means like wrestling, running around, tag, anything like that in a basically like in a rough and tumble type environment. So like grass and you know playing in the playground and things like that. If they don't adequately get to play, their neurobiological system and their entire bodies basically gets out of whack and how people and kids and friends develop their relationships is through play. It's through games and shared experiences like that. So if kids don't get to do that, by the time they're four, what Yak Panksept discovered was that 
they're going to be stunted for life, essentially. And so you have until you're about four years old to get that type of learning and practice exploring like that before you become very, very closed off to new experiences. And that's something we all know the folks who like things going the same way day in, day out. And it's definitely a sad thing to think about that maybe that's just all the result of their early years of life. So the early years of life are obviously so, so important. And I think that more awareness about these type of topics is crucial if we're going to have people that are free or generally like more free to choose a better life. Yeah. And one really fun point that I saw in the article was someone was referencing their childhood, a memory that they had of their dad. They brought home a piece of paper that said, have your kid or basically sign off if your kid has read each night. So there was like two weeks worth of sign offs and the dad was supposed to sign this off every night that their kid read for 20 minutes. And the dad just went through and signed every single line and told his daughter, bring that back to school because I'm not making reading homework. Like this is not a chore. This should be fun. This is part of your play. You should be enjoying this. This isn't something that you have to like meet your 20 minute a day mark. And I thought that was really fun because a lot of times in school, they're actually turning things that are fun and would be fun in the wild into something that's like, you must do this. And it's not fun anymore at that point. It ruins it. So that was a fun story. Yeah. I, I love that story. And thinking back to third grade and second grade, when those things started being introduced really heavily, the pushback and the criticism when children were asked to make their own reading choices was intense. So it's basically like we would be taken to the library and teachers would say, pick out any book you would like to read. And inherently all of the picks would get like hyper critiques. So you're trying to pick out a book. And so there would be a certain type of kid that would always be picking out like the goosebump books or whatever. That was me. Yeah. With it, like wanting to read the fiction. And that is what is attractive to certain people. And it's like your interests are stifled so aggressively early on by some of these people that they think that they're doing good. But at a certain point, it's like, do you really believe you're doing good by critiquing somebody's choices that heavily? So that's uh, this is a, a call to action to reject the hyper critiques and censorship on what you will read, what you won't read, and generally just pick what's interesting. Pick what you find yourself gravitating towards. So yeah, these studies and those stories illustrate the fact that it's becoming harder and harder to get time by yourself to figure out what am I interested in in the absence of input from others? And how do I like to play in the absence of clearly defined rules? Am I going to be able to build those rules and you know resolve disputes that are happening in real time with friends? Or am I just not going to learn that skill? And I think that a lot of people, for better or worse, are just not learning that skill now. Yep, I agree. And it's a good thing to remember now that we have kids and it is. friends with kids and stuff, just good to remember, like, back off a little bit, let them play. I like the quote at the end where it said, they were able to resolve disputes, they planned their time, they managed their games, and they had a lot of autonomy, which fed into self-esteem and mental health, which is a good summary of why we should be encouraging this in kids. Definitely. It's no accident that there's a spike in mental health challenges and anxiety and everything like that. Yep. Next up, there's a study that shows that in the workplace, women are much more likely to endure instability from other women than from men. So Steph, before I throw this to you, I just have to say that personally, I know the most passive aggressive and then completely in your face aggressive attacks, weirdness, and generally just nasty people have, in my experience anyways, always been other men. I haven't encountered any instance of women especially women who are in like executive positions or C-level positions being mean. They're generally all amazing. 
And they're, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that all of them are amazing, but out of the ones that I've met, that's, it's definitely the case where they're generally easy to work with. Whereas a lot of guys, on the other hand, can, yeah, just not really be that nice of people sometimes in business. And a lot of it is because, you know, people are under stress in different situations, but I've generally found that women are much more friendly to those who are either entrepreneurial or pursuing a partnership with their company or, you know, trying to sell into an organization. Uh, They've generally just been willing to like open up doors at a higher rate than I would say like their male counterparts. But that's just my personal experience over the last uh, like year and a half or so. Yep. Yeah. So. I mean, I would say this doesn't apply to all women or all men, of course. Statistics. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I do agree that I think that women are able to pick up more on emotions and how they're speaking to someone. And they can, at least I can instantly see how what I'm saying is affecting someone just by what their face is looking like. So I think that probably that study sounds like it could be accurate because men, sometimes I think they're talking and they don't really realize how they're coming off. I see this a lot with some of the engineers I work with. They're just talking in a way where I'm like, oh my gosh, you are being so rude. You can't talk to people like this and you can just see they don't get it. So you can't be that angry, but I can definitely see how anyone would be offended by that if they yeah. have any type of empathy and emotions and you know can read other people's emotions as they're speaking. And I think women do usually, they're better at doing this than men. Yeah, I think we could get some heat for this though, but it's our own personal experience, I guess. So we're exploring complicated topics. Yes, we are. And okay, so next up, it looks like we have okay. This is a really really fun quote from Richard Branson when he's asked about taking risks, and basically the reporter and the person doing the interview is trying to figure out how he manages to keep his cool. Again, assuming that he always keeps his cool. I think this is like a funny exaggeration that gets heaped upon people who are very successful when a reporter thinks that they've always handled themselves in a cool fashion like Mm -hmm. of course not yeah (laughs) i I don't think many journalists or reporters are aware of the conversations that happen at startups and even large technology companies inside boardrooms and inside sales meetings and things like that it's not a uh people don't always keep their cool but when you see a leader emerge and keeping their cool in the public light that's what people generally just like see and assume is the normal uh, state of business. So just want to throw that caveat out there Which before also we jump into it. can be important when you're leading a company. I mean, if your employees are seeing you go completely crazy and oh, you're definitely. all overwhelmed and frazzled, not a good look. Even if you are, a lot of times I do see that you know you need to hold it in because you're going to worry everyone around you. And then tomorrow you might you might be like, I'm good. And all your employees will be just in a state of fear at that point. So I think it's good for people to come off like that but also knowing that, okay, you're not like that all the time. Definitely. And the the fun reminder is that as a CEO, you need to have your chief emotional officer type uh, title in mind and just be aware of that during most settings and situations. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes you have to let your emotions dictate your, your actions. True. All right. For, for the good of everyone. So What's the quote? let's jump into the Branson quote. He says, I think humor is important. Putting on a brave face, cracking jokes, plenty of hugs, hugs are important. The only way you're going to survive is by keeping focused, by staying positive. Even if you're faced with almost certain death, you're definitely going to die unless you fight to the bitter end. Cheers to that. There have been circumstances where on paper, we had well over a 90% chance of not coming home. I think by staying focused, by staying positive, and with a big dose of good fortune, we made it all the way back. So he might be alluding to some of his 
hot air balloon type experiences and uh, adventure, risky sports and stuff like that. But he's also talking clearly about business there. And it's a great reminder that humor is something that is always welcome. If you have a funny joke or an insight and you can bring that type of wit and witticism to a situation, more power to you. It's always going to be welcome and you're always going to be in demand at whatever company you're at. Yeah, love it. Okay. And finally, there's a recent study that basically details about how strong bonds with people are forged and how some of those bonds can get stronger as people get older. So a good strategy is taking a road trip. So I know that sounds simple, but a road trip per the study's findings seems to catalyze a type of team spirit. And it's a situation where you have a common goal with your companions and it might not be the most hair raising or Hollywood type scenario of a road trip, but it's still something where you share an experience, you're getting from point A to point B, and it's a, a fun type of experience where you kind of know the destination you're going, but there are going to be a bunch of unanswered questions along the way. And I think that any type of small adventure where you're outside your normal setting, your, your normal comfort zone is an excellent environment to forge bonds and friendships that can last a long time. Yeah, I'm even thinking about back in high school and college when we would take road trips to go to play lacrosse or soccer games or things like that. That was how we formed, you know, the best friendships on the bus, being able to talk and hang out and just have a good time together before we would get to the field. And to me, I'm like, that's the perfect example of have a road trip, going somewhere, building best friends through it. But now we can just do it when we're older and choosing those people we want to, you know, further the relationship with and thinking, okay, where, where can we go? Maybe it's only a day trip. Maybe it's a weekend trip, but yeah, I think that's a great idea. It's a great reminder. We are actually in the midst of planning our, not offsite, but we're just going to have an impromptu team meet up and flying some new hires in and everything. So that's going to be really, really exciting. And we, we will bond. <laughs> maybe we could do a short road trip to, we can probably do a short road trip somewhere. Yeah. At we least should. Now that we for, know, the research Tahoe. says we have the to. The research says we must. <laughs> so kidding. we will do it. <laughs> Just kidding. So that's it for the wisdom-focused episode of the Mission Daily today. Big shout out to Twilio. They are our presenting sponsor of the Mission Daily. We're so excited to have them. Twilio powers amazing companies like Lyft, Salesforce, Intuit. The list goes on and on. Those companies trust Twilio because their software works. And if you're interested in exploring the type of software and tools that they're developing and launching on a daily basis, you should go to the Twilio Signal Conference that's coming up October 17th through the 18th in San Francisco. And with that, we will see you next time on the Mission Daily. See you next time. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.